The world has moved on and time has grown strange. Car's a real duck. Car? What does car mean? It means you're playing someone who's going to destroy you. All things serve to be. Tell the man in black I say hello. The world as Roland had always known it would be swept away. It starts here. From its field of roses, the dark tower cries out in its beast's voice. Time is a base on the water. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King, hosted by two lifelong constant readers. We do non-spoiler and spoiler reviews of King's published work and take a critical look at his film and television adaptations as well. We also discuss the latest King news and check in with each other on our ongoing King obsessions. It's the podcast where all things serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter or X or whatever the hell Elon Musk is calling it these days and every other level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. And finally, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer for an obscene amount of bonus content spread across all of ObsessiveViewer.com's various podcasts. And if you want specific Stephen King related content there is a four dollar per month uh tier on patreon that is only stephen king related content on it i have um literally almost two days worth of audio of me doing book reaction recordings um for stephen king work like literally like you could run it from beginning to end and it will take two days to do to listen to it uh, so check that out, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, you also get commentary tracks and, uh, and other fun stuff on Patreon. So again, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, the money I make, uh, keeps me, uh, alive and also, uh, keeps the podcast alive. So <laughs> by, by, uh, the transitive property there. So again, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurd. And today on the show, we are continuing our podcast journey to the Dark Tower by concluding our coverage of The Gunslinger with a with this episode devoted to Chapter 5, titled The Gunslinger and the Man in Black. We are finishing The Gunslinger today, and joining me to do that, of course, is my comate, uh, Tiny. Hi, Tiny. How's it going? And uh, trust me, I did not pause because I forgot your name. Um <laughs> <laughs> hey buddy <I'm> <laughs> nice nice uh so yeah so yeah today we've got a packed show it's gonna be a lot of fun um what uh have you been up to and everything and how do you feel about the patreon exclusive thing that we recorded before this very good very very good yeah we um yeah broke down kind of the whole book of uh the gunslinger we talked about our history with it had a little uh circa 2001 flashback yeah um, to a trip we shared yes which sounds kind of like you and i took a mescaline or something that's not what i meant (laughs) um (laughs) well no no there it, it was okay so i know that this is behind the paywall and everything but just so you guys know basically tiny took mescaline and then uh encountered an oracle in a, in a deserted a deserted area 
that was trying to, or a succubus, I'm sorry, and was trying to gain control of me, but he took mescaline to fight it off. Um, yeah. So nice. Yeah. That old chestnut, you know, yes. how it is. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, life is going good. New job. Nice. Doing a Congrats. Lot of volunteering. Thank you. Uh, a lot of volunteer stuff's going really well. Um, nice. To that note, if you want to see some funny ass pictures of me, <laughs> uh, go to the Speedway Lions Club Facebook mm-hmm. page. Uh, I participated in a adult tricycle race. Well, a grown. I don't want to say adult because that makes it sound like porn or something. Right. Um, but trust me, it's not appealing in the slightest. Uh, I participated in a charity tricycle race. Um, <laughs> And it it's pretty funny. So, um, yeah, you can see a picture of me on a tricycle. Okay, so here's the thing, Tiny. Like, <laughs> I don't know how, because I've kept this so, like, secret and everything, but how did you know what my OnlyFans username is? Tricycle, uh, what was it? <laughs> I had it in my head. Tricycle race or something. Uh, what was the third, what was the middle word? I fumble all of uh, that. Charity tricycle race. Charity tricycle. That's what it was. Charity tricycle race. <laughs> that's my OnlyFans name. <laughs> that is the most specific fetish that's ever been conceived. <laughs> um, uh, that's so that dumb. would be the only thing. That'd be the only thing you could plug <clears throat> into a porn search engine and get zero results. Yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that I'm asking you to test that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh, that's and ridiculous. We're already off the rails. Yes, I will dig up the link to uh all of Charity Tricycle Races um work <laughs> and put it in the show notes. And by that I mean the Speedway Lines Club link will be in the show notes <laughs> so you can see Tiny on his tricycle. Um nice. yeah, so anyway, uh that's good. That's awesome. That's exciting. Um yeah. I fun. yeah, I uh, I've, I've been, you know, keeping busy with Patreon stuff. It's funny. Cause like, again, this is like all just going to be plugging the Patreon. I'm sorry. But basically, uh, today after work, um, like I recently, like in the last couple of months bought a new wireless mic setup. Um, it's, it's shout out to road. It's a wireless me mic system. Basically it's a receiver and a transmitter. I plug the, I plug the receiver into my phone it receives the transmitted signal of my voice from the microphone on the transmitter and I record into my phone. Boom. It's about how I do a lot of my TikTok videos and, <clears throat> and a lot of Patreon stuff like in the car. So I didn't know that. that's cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm very, I'm very pleased with it. Um, and so I, have been using that and everything. And like, I had it in my backpack the other, like the other day for work. Um, just because I thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll get a little podcasting in the car. Um, and then, so last night, like last night I watched a movie and then today after work, I broke out the wireless mic and I just, I just, uh, I, you know, I just, I just hit record and just saw where it took me. No, um, I, like I did, I had a very long commute home today because traffic was crazy. They're doing construction downtown as they always are. Um, and they also recently implemented a lot of no turn on red signs downtown in Indianapolis. So like, basically I, it took me like an hour to get home from work and it takes me usually like 35, 40 minutes. Um, 
Yeah, and in that time, I recorded two Patreon <laughs> recordings. Um, <laughs> I did an immediate reaction for the horror movie Skinamarink, um, and then I also did a reaction recording to the Dark Half movie, um, which I'll talk more about that in Stephen King check-ins. But, uh, but yeah, a nice little productive commute home. Obviously, since it's a wireless mic, completely hands-free, distraction-free. I had a clip to my... Um, to my seatbelt, and basically I just press the record button and I just talk to myself while driving home. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, that's another incentive for the Patreon. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. Um, anything else or should we jump into Stephen King news and check-ins? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go for it. Okay, cool. So we have a lot of news here. Um, so the, I'm just going to kind of go through some of this and we're not going to talk too much about it here and there. There's some things that are basically um, stuff that I talked about last week with uh, Kim C. And then also some new stuff that popped up. So um, let me pause to cough because I have this little tickle in my throat. So I'm going to actually pause the recording. Okay. And so that was seamless, but um, <laughs> I'm going to mark that actually. So anyway, um, we've got some news. Uh, one of the one of the kind of fun things that happened is um, in a Rolling Stone uh, interview for um, for Holly, Stephen King shared an anecdote about uh, uh, about how the song Mambo Number no. Five. Uh, uh, like was uh, jeopardized his his uh his marriage to Tabitha, um, <clears throat> and so in it it says the question is it's part of a big culture war the right and the left right now which is interesting but I have to ask I hear you're a huge fan of Mamba Number no. Five by Lou Bega. And King responded by saying, oh, yeah, big time. My wife threatened to divorce me. <laughs> I played that a lot. I had the dance mix. I loved those extended play things, and I played both sides of it. And one of them was just total instrumental. And I played that thing until my wife just said, one more time, and I'm going to fucking leave you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. And then um, <clears throat> in the interview, uh, he goes on to say, like the interviewer asked, what were you writing at the time? And so I saw this first uh, uh, fellow Stephen King podcaster, Scott Wampler, he of KingCast, um, <clears throat> had tweeted that and said, like, he tweeted a screenshot of the response of, like, what were you writing at the time? Um, and he had highlighted, I think, probably 112263. And Bev Vincent, who obviously is very close to King, wrote uh, um, The Road to the Dark Tower, all, all of this stuff. So he, he replied to Scott and said, it was actually the final three Dark Tower books as documented in The Road to the Dark Tower, quoting his appearance on the Mitch Album show. Um, so I found that to be interesting. And then I replied, like I had my own thing, which is, this isn't, this isn't a spoiler for Wolves of the Kala. I'll say that. I will not, it is not spoiling it, but there is a, there's a dance number in Wolves of the Kala. So with that in context, uh, I responded to the tweet saying, imagining King writing Roland dancing the Kamala at Calabrin Sturgis while driving Tabitha mad with Mambo number no. five on repeat is super fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, like that's been in my head uh, since I saw that and I, I can't get it out of it. And it's, it's kind of an absolute delight. I, I love it. Um, yeah, it's peak King. Yeah. Yeah. 
Needed a little bit of Monica in his life. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the <laughs> sisters Arisa's maybe named Monica. Like, that's my headcanon now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, th- and that also reminds me uh, to plug the uh, King on Screen documentary that I interviewed the producer of a couple of weeks ago, um, which is, I believe is out now. Like, you guys can get access to it on VOD. Um, but... Uh, there was one part in that that I, I, di- I didn't mention it in the in the interview or anything, but it stuck with me for a while. But there's, I don't remember the context of of the interview being held, but like like there's there are sprinkled throughout that documentary some archival footage of King and a couple shots of Tabitha, uh, Tabitha King, and there's a there's like when they're interviewing Mike Flanagan. He says something. I can't remember what it was that he said, but they cut to um, they cut, and this is going to be so uh, sweet and saccharine. I guess is that the right word? I don't know. But anyway, um, they cut to archival footage of King and Tabitha, and like I don't like I said, I don't remember what Flanagan was talking about in that scene, but just like that footage, that specific footage of King and his wife. Like you can just see the love between them. It is it is gorgeous. And it's just like in the way that they're looking at each other, it is just so beautiful. And like it was to the point where I like I got a little bit teary eyed just thinking like that's I mean that's that's beautiful. So anyway. Um <clears throat> Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty extreme. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh when I go back and watch it again, I'll just have Mamba number five playing. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's a little anecdote uh, from that. But uh, any notes on that, Tiny, or shall we move on to more King news? No, just pretty funny. Yeah. So uh, King, uh, speaking of Holly, the new book, um, it, just the headline here is that uh, King's latest book, Holly, tops bestsellers charts days after debut, which isn't a surprise at all. I mean, he's Stephen King. It's printing money, basically, alongside the book. Um, I don't think there's anything really um, surprising about that, but I, I was hoping that I would get some statistics here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Listed at a suggested retail price of $30, Amazon has Holly on hardcover on sale for just $19 right now, which is... I don't know if that's intentional, but that's pretty nice. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and then, wow, okay, that link has a little bit of spoilers. Uh, uh, spoilers for like the first chapter. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that's really all the check-ins I ha- Oh, no, 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 the big check-in, the other check-in that I have. Um, a trailer came out for... <laughs> Coming out on Paramount Plus on uh, September or October sixth, I believe, is Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, which is the uh, the prequel to the twenty nineteen uh, Pet Cemetery adaptation. <clears throat> this movie uh, basically recounts uh, a the backstory of Judd Crandall and his experience and and Ludlow's experience with the Pet Cemetery. Uh, I sent you the link, Tiny, to the trailer. What did you think of it if you watched it? And what what is what is your interest level for this movie? When you sent it to me, I, I didn't even realize this was coming out. Um, mm-hmm. I've not been keeping up on King News very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I When I first saw it, I was like, oh, God, more Pet Cemetery. Like, what are they doing? <laughs> um, 
but then I watched the trailer and kind of read the synopsis and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm actually into this. Like, I think it's oh, interesting. Cool. I think it's cool. They're taking a new, like, it's not like they're remaking pet cemetery. They're taking some context from the book and expanding on it and doing like a prequel thing. Like, I think that's a really cool idea. And you know, the whole young Judd Crandall thing is, is a, um, a cool idea. And I'm, uh, I, I I almost would have preferred a series because I'm just, I have not been watching movies. I've just been watching shows, but yeah. um, maybe a movie was was a better investment uh, for it and made more sense. Um, I'm also not thrilled with Paramount Plus. I don't have that prescription. Um, yeah, um, or subscription. <laughs> I was gonna um, say, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm, my interest is peaked. Sure. That's that's good to hear. I'm 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 super glad to hear that because I really I, like it is very low on my priorities list. It's something that it I for me I, here's the thing. I there is I don't understand where the interest is in this because if I I don't remember if Pet Cemetery performed well. I I feel like it probably did decently at the box office, but I really didn't like the movie. I thought John Lithgow was good in it, but I just didn't, I didn't really care for it. And like the, the original pet cemetery is fantastic. Like that's, and obviously the book is amazing, but um, the original adaptation is, is phenomenal. And I just don't, I don't care to explore the lore of it in the context of this current adaptation. Like, I'm fine with that movie just existing and me maybe seeing it again at some point just for S's and G's. But I just like I would be I don't know. It's just it just doesn't really interest me, which is funny because like on the flip side, Welcome to Dairy, the HBO or the Max uh, kind of like it adjacent story that basically has the same is the same kind of idea. It's exploring the history of dairy in regards to Pennywise through a TV show format. Um, <clears throat> that I'm very intrigued by and very interested in. So I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm just so soured by the 2019 adaptation that it just it. Uh, I'll see it, but it's not going to be something I'm like very eager to watch. So yeah, that movie wasn't great. Yeah, um, there's a few things I appreciated about it, but mostly was a not not great. So yeah. Yeah, I, I understand that reaction. Um, I was just kind of pleasantly surprised that it was, it wasn't some entirely new, just random person coming up with some, sure, and, you know, a sequel, um, a, a non, a whatever sequel. It's it's like a prequel, and it's kind of based in the book. So I'm 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 sort of on board with it, but I'm not like super thrilled with it. That's fair. We will, of course, reserve judgment reserve judgment until we see it ourselves. But um, I will say that uh, <laughs> uh, this is so dumb. Uh, I will say that in the world of adaptations, Stephen King adaptations, and Stephen King writes two adaptations. Uh, uh, some sometimes letting the rights revert is better. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so dumb anyway um yeah so that's stephen king news um i have a few quick check-ins and then we can get into the episode do you have any check-ins tiny first 
I don't. I kind of slowed down on the reading because I've been mm. going hardcore with my volunteer stuff and like nice. I just don't have the time. But um, I'm going to uh, start listening to If It Bleeds tomorrow. Nice. So, yeah, I have that because I don't, no time constraint, constraint with that because I have right. it on uh, Audible. So. Nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, I would, you know, honestly, um, with If It Bleeds, this is another just stupid uh, thing for me, but um, the great thing about if it bleeds is that as you read, like it's four, it's four novellas. Obviously one of them is if it bleeds, which has Holly Gibney and everything. Um, but it's those four novellas. And the great thing is, is that after you read one of them, you can go on to Patreon and listen to my thoughts on that, on that, and then read the next one and then go on to Patreon and listen to my thoughts on that. Cause I did a whole series on the, uh, on if it bleeds. Also, you can check out last week's episode with Kim C where we talked about Mr. Harrigan's phone, uh, which is the first okay. novella in that collection. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited cause I love that collection. Um, in, nice. in particular, I kind of want, I want to kind of like hand you a gift wrap, a gift wrapped present right now in anticipation of you reading my favorite novella in that collection. Um, I won't say anything about the novella itself, tiny, but when you get to the life of Chuck, just know that as of right now, Mike Flanagan has the rights to adapt that into a feature film. Um, Mm -hmm. so do with that what you will when you read that novella. Um, also it's my favorite novella of that collection. It is. Yeah. Yep. Uh, again, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Sweet. Uh, sweet, yeah. sweet, sweet. Yeah. We got some new flying and coming out pretty soon too. Um, yeah. Uh, uh house follow the usher. house usher. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Always cool. good for new Flanagan word. Yeah. And so my quick, uh, Stephen King check-ins are that I, uh, upon finishing If It Bleeds, I, I think I may have mentioned this last week with, with, uh, with Kim C, but basically I finished If It Bleeds, I did my Patreon review for it, and then I had a few days before Holly came out. And even more than that, I was getting the audio, audiobook for Holly on Tuesday, and then the actual hardcover was being delivered by Amazon on Thursday. So I wanted to, like, I've been reading it, physically reading the, reading the book. Um, so I was waiting until Thursday to get it in my hands. Um, so I had a little bit of a gap. So I had Sunday to Thursday before I was like going to start Holly. Um, and what I ended up doing was I squeezed in the dark half, which is specifically, I read that because it was a Stephen King book I've never read. And after reading If It Bleeds, I was just hungry for like new King or new to me King, first read King, uh, first reading King. So I picked the dark half and I really had a, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it's, do you know anything about it, Tiny? <clears throat> no. Okay. So just really quick overview. Um, I basically, or, uh, basically the, the, the dark half is about a writer named Thad Beaumont who, uh, writes under a pseudonym named George Stark when his, uh, when his pseudonym is discovered and the cover is blown, uh, he, he does like this big spread in a magazine where, uh, they kill George Stark and, and like they pose, he put po- the writer poses over a fake like gravestone and everything. 
And then, wouldn't you know it, George Stark materializes, comes to life, and starts hunting down people and killing them. Uh, So, this book was fantastic. And here's the thing. I specifically said in the episode with Kim C, I believe I said this, that I was so excited to read The Dark Half because I wasn't reading it for the podcast. I had no goals of doing anything Patreon related. I was just looking forward to leisurely reading a Stephen King book for the first time. So starting October 8th on Patreon, there's going to be a (laughs) three-part read-along review of The Dark Half. (laughs) every sunday starting with the second sunday in october i'm gonna do like i've done it's recorded they're 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 scheduled like that's happening because i can't i much like thad beaumont i cannot separate like the way that he can't separate himself from his pseudonym i cannot separate my reading or my media consumption with patreon and podcasting (laughs) so well the first step is admitting you have a problem so i don't think i didn't say it's a problem um um, but in addition to that also uh when i do the third one which the third part i think is going to drop on i think october 22nd uh that same day i'm going to do i'm going to release a uh immediate reaction um Thoughts on the movie, The Dark Half, which came out in 1993, uh, written and directed by George A. Romero. Watched that a few days ago. Uh, Really enjoyed it. Um, Yeah. And I might also just stacked here. Like, it's just so busy. Um, I I am also on, uh, like, I am also on the roster to be writing an essay about The Dark Half um for midwest film journal for their annual no sleep october uh series that they run every october so check that out at uh, midwestfilmjournal.com they're fantastic i also a couple years ago or actually three years ago did an essay for them about the mist so uh check that out too so anyway sweet that's awesome yeah I'm, i'm looking forward to all of that um and then my final check-in is that I will say that I, again, Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I am doing weekly read along reviews of Holly. I am halfway through the book now. Uh, the first edition of my read along review. It's a four part, uh, read along review. The first part posted last Sunday and the next part is posting this Sunday. And then I have two more and then the dark half. Um, all I'll say is that I am enjoying it quite a bit. And through the through over the course of several months, I have been rereading like Mr. Mercedes and like the Bill Hodges trilogy, The Outsider. And if it if it bleeds, did all of that for Patreon as well. But um, while rereading those and, and reading if it bleeds for the first time, I just grew to really appreciate Holly Gibney. And uh, I'm just I'm really like I'm really vibing with like getting to hang out with Holly Gibney in her own full-length novel i think it's a lot of fun nice that's great yeah i'm excited i'm excited to finish it and i'm excited to hear what everyone thinks of it yeah, yeah i'm hoping to get to it in the next next you know month or so yeah oh which yeah which i hate to I, in a, a normal person would read it in a week or whatever right. but i <laughs> i just yeah i got this big project coming up and i 
mm-hmm. kind of have to devote a lot of time to that. So yeah, yeah, you you have a lot on your plate. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I don't. I don't. That's that's totally fine. Um, right yeah. Uh, but yeah. So that is all of my news and check ins and everything. Tiny, do you want to go into our final installment of our gunslinger coverage in our Dark Tower? read along series and everything let's effing do it all righty so uh this is the concluding chapter of the gunslinger it's titled the gunslinger and uh the man in black i believe in uh, it, it first was published in the magazine the magazine of fantasy and science fiction in november of 1981 um and i believe that the original title was the gunslinger and the dark man um, but it was retitled to, uh, the gunslinger and the man in black. Um, so I have actually a pre-recorded previously on, uh, the dark tower section. So I will bring us into, I will, I will play that. And then we will go into our, uh, thoughts on the gunslinger and the man in black. We are going, going to be spoiling the whole book at this point, but we won't spoil anything further in the dark tower series. Uh, so keep that in mind. Here is me recorded like an hour and a half or two hours ago. Me uh, giving you guys the previously on the Dark Tower. Previously on the Dark Tower. Roland and Jake make their way through a railway tunnel using a hand car cart created by the Great Old Ones. During this time to distract the boy, Roland tells him a story of his childhood, which is also told in Wizarding Glass and the Gunslinger Born. At age 14, Roland discovered his mother having an affair with his father's court magician, Martin Broadcloak. Martin taunted Roland in order to spur him into an early trial to prove his worth as a gunslinger, in order that he uh, would fail and be sent into exile, therefore ending potential trouble for the good man and Crimson King to whom Martin secretly, secretly swore, secretly, Jesus, swore allegiance. Roland faced his teacher court using his Hawk David as his weapon and deliberately sacrificing him in order to gain the upper hand and pass the trial. While traveling through the mountain, Roland and Jake are attacked by a pack of slow mutants who block the track in an attempt to catch them. Jake clears the obstruction just in time for them to escape, and they travel on to the edge of a deep chasm spanned by a dilapidated trestle. They abandon the handcar and start crossing on foot. Nearing the other end, Jake slips and Roland catches him, but the man in black arrives to, off- to offer Roland a choice. Let the boy die or never catch him. Roland lets Jake fall to his death and exits the tunnel with the man in black. So that was the previously on uh, on the Dark Tower. And so this one, just to kind of give an overview, uh, basically after sacrifice, this is all taken from Wikipedia, by the way, guys. Uh, after sacrificing Jake in the mountain, Roland makes his way down to speak with the man in black, otherwise known as Walter. Uh, Walter reads Roland's fate from a pack of cards, which includes such omens as the sailor, the prisoner, the lady of shadows, death, and the tower itself. Walter states that he is a pawn of Roland's true enemy who now controls the Dark Tower itself. Man in Black also reveals that he was Martin. He then sends Roland a vision of the universe, zooming out past a red planet covered in canals, a ring of rocks, a large stormy planet, a ringed planet, and then the galaxies beyond. Um, blah, blah, blah. Roland refused. Oh God. Okay. This is just so long. I'm so sorry. Uh, attempting to frighten, frighten Roland by showing him how truly insignificant he is. Walter then asks Roland to renounce his quest. 
Roland refuses, and the man in black tells him to go west before putting him to sleep. When Roland awakens, ten years have passed, and there is a skeleton next to him that he assumes to be Walter's. Roland takes the jawbone from the skeleton before traveling to the shore of the Western Sea. So, Tiny. Yes. We have now completed The Gunslinger. What did you think about this chapter? Their palaver everything that happens here what what did you think about it this time around it is quite wordy um you know (laughs) think about the what it really is it's two guys around a campfire talking um but of course of course it's it's actually you know much more than that they Mm. um the whole i always really appreciated the description of uh walter the man in black going over uh the grandiosity of the universe and same the details of that were always so uh magnificent and and uh uh just wild to think about and and it it was like reading Carl Sagan or something like that you know very um very scientifically poetic i guess mm-hmm. is is how i would put it but um i always appreciated that part that's one of the parts i always remember from this um and and i'm I I really liked this read through. We kind of talked about it in Patreon, but I think just, you know, this is my third or fourth time through and, and we really got to sit with it with this read through because, you know, I listened to each chapter at least like three times for, for all of them. That was really nice to get all that detail. Um, And just, I think maybe, maybe just being older and, and uh, kind of um, a new perspective, I think, you know, I, I I said I was probably in my twenties the last time I read this one. Yeah. Um, and now that I'm 36, I think maybe that's that. There's a a bit of a different different interpretation or a different experience uh, with that with that age. Um, but yeah, I I I really enjoy. This is my favorite read through of this book. I, I've got so much more from it than I than I have in past read throughs, and um, gained a new appreciation for this prologue introductory story of this epic seven book tale um i i think i i give it more credit now than i used to um after this read through um yeah really cool nice i i'm the same way obviously like it's just it's been such a blast reading through it and uh, dissecting it part by part like that has been so much fun for me uh for us to be able to do this and it's funny because like you said in patreon that like we've Like, this series has been on our minds for, at this point, a third of our lives. Like, we were, uh, it was was 13 years ago that we read it for the first time, and math. But it's like, it's just so funny, because like, I I do this kind of mental exercise every time, or, or like, so often, but it's just funny to think that like, hey, if we could go back 13 years to when we were reading the Dark Tower series and we could like tell our younger selves like, hey, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, you guys are like 13 years from now, you guys are going to be talking about this damn thing on a podcast where people listen to it and like you're going to like share your ka and share your kef with like people on the internet uh, talking about this thing that you guys are reading for the first time right now, 13 years in the past. Uh, it's just, it's mind blowing. It's just cool. But, uh, but yeah, to bring it back, like this 
introductory book like the gunslinger itself is is beautiful beautifully written it is like i've talked about it in the last you know four episodes that we've done on this and this particular chapter is just so full of just beautiful prose and i feel like i think i said this in in the last installment of our series here but this book or this chapter feels like this is like the this is like the classic like climactic scene of like a mega blockbuster thing this is this is the hero or anti-hero, whatever you want to call him, uh, the the protagonist meeting his adversary, and they are having like their monologue. They're having their palaver, and then like in terms of the scope of that, the fact that the man in black is showing him the universe, the galaxy, and then the universe as a whole, and then trying to just show just how insignificant he is, like the description said is just like that blew my mind when I first read it. And it's something that's stuck with me ever since. Like the, the analogy to um, like, what do you think a fish feels when it's just yanked out of its existence and thrown into and thrown into like drowning on air and, and everything? Like, what do you think that they think? And I'm just like, that kind of blew my mind uh when i read it 13 years ago and it's still something i think about here just the perspectives of everything um the other thing that really sticks out to me is when the man in black is talking about how like if you like you destroy an anthill you could destroy an i think an anthill i'm not sure what the analogy was but it is it, you could destroy an like all of those like ants contain an entire universe themselves and just like the scope of that was just mind blowing to me um yeah yeah and you know those aren't um original ideas no kings of course but his interpretation of them and their context to this overall story and this multiversal story that it is um it's it's so appropriate that it's it's at the end of the beginning of this story where um that concept is planted in the reader's mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I always appreciated that so much as well. Um, it's it, it stuck with me from the first time we read it. Um, yeah. I, another part that I, I typically I'm not a fan of any kind of um, any any kind of mysticism that's that's like um, that people use as a tool. I'm not into astrology mm-hmm. at all. I'm not into um, any of that stuff but spoken like a true pisces i don't even i don't i don't even know what like i i agree with you i was just making a joke that's awesome um i'm a capricorn oh there we go um no but i I, i'm not into that any kind of mysticism at all but Mm -hmm. i for some reason tarot cards are just kind of fascinating i think i think the reason why is because there's a level of art to them mm-hmm. there there's always you know there's the um like the depiction of the hanged man and and death and um the other i, I don't even know what the other ones are but like uh, i'm not that into it but i just yeah. i find the concept kind of interesting um just because i think it's like one of those things where you, you introduce an idea into someone's life and because you introduce that idea to them you know, if you draw the the seven cards for them, that influences how they move forward in their life or how the oh, next yeah. 
month is going to play out in, in their life because you've planted that seed. So even though the idea that drawing these cards is an actual prediction of their future is bullshit, <laughs> the fact that you planted the idea in their mind can influence how they go through their life. And like, that's, that can be a real thing. Like, and that's, that's true of astrology as well. You know, mm. if someone reads their horoscope and it says they're going to do whatever today, and then that happens, it's because you planted that idea in their mind, not because there's any actual mysticism that drives that, you know, mm. it's still an interesting idea. I just, I like tarot a little more because I think it's, there's this idea, there's this, these concepts of art and the concept of chance to it as opposed to a horoscope, which is just a bunch of bullshit someone spouts right. out and then they post it on a blog somewhere and you read about it or a, you know, a little newspaper or whatever mm -hmm. like that. But I don't know. I, I find the idea of tarot kind of interesting and uh, I really should have researched more about it and kind of applied a bit of interpretation to the the cards that Roland is drawn. Um but I, I didn't, uh, I didn't do that. <laughs> That's totally um, fine. I was going to say, if you guys are listening to this and enjoy this, uh, go check out Kim C's coverage of the gunslinger. Cause she goes in depth with the tarot card reading. Nice. On the year of the King. It is, it is phenomenal. I highly recommend That's it. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes and everything, but, but yeah, it's, that's such an interesting, um, angle to, to, to come at tarot card reading, um, that's, that's really interesting to me because yeah, it is, it does have this kind of built-in sort of maybe not self-fulfilling prophecy, but yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit. It is something that's your, right. just by the fact of, of reading what's laid out before them completely by chance, you are influencing how they interact with the world going forward. It's just, it's really interesting. And given that the man in black is a mischievous asshole like that could be like what he's doing here too um but yeah it's that that's that's really good i like that um nice. yeah the the actual reading that he gives him is like it's ominous like knowing knowing the series and everything it's just really appetizing um in patreon we kind of talked about how we've been so far removed from our first experience reading this book that it's hard to kind of put us back in like 13 years ago in our shoes then um to kind of figure out like where we were when we first read it but coming at it now like having like having this deep relationship with the, with the work um and reading it with a fine tooth tooth comb i i just feel like my hope for people reading this series for the first time is that this this final chapter opens them up to the possibilities going forward like i'm really hopeful that if someone reads this for the first time they are intrigued by what they hear or read and see and and that they that is something that propels them onto the next book that makes them excited to see what else is in store for Roland and whomever may join him on the quest to the tower. Um, that's my hope, at least. But as a standalone, not even standalone, but as, like you said, a prologue to the series, I think that this book is brilliant, beautifully, beautifully written and brilliant. Um, I love it so much. Nice. Yeah. Um, the other thing I really liked about this chapter that stuck out, stood out, stood, whoa, that stood out to me 
was the little sprinkling of uh, religion and in particular, like Christianity in it. So we've had like, I guess, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I don't know religion all that well, but um, the like the like the part where he refer where the man in black refers to um refer like he's such a dick um <laughs> he refers <laughs> to Jake as Roland's Isaac um which is a reference to the bible where uh god asks abraham to sacrifice isaac um and he's like dude i'm not going to do that um <laughs> but like i just like that little like jab there and like the fact that Roland has no idea what the hell he's talking about. Um, and then there's another reference, like he refers to the either not the Crimson King, but like some like a, an underling of him as uh he's known as Legion, which I believe is from the Bible. Yes. Yeah. And then there was one other thing that I can't really remember, but um, but yeah, I just like how that's kind of sprinkled in there because Stephen King is someone who writes religion into his his stories in such interesting ways. And I just find it interesting that here it's kind of written as a thing that is knowledgeable to people reading it in real life because, you know, it's everywhere. Um, but he's using it as a way to signal to us that like, yeah, there's more stuff going on. It's not a religious story, but it's something to signal that like, yeah, there's there's like like with the Hey Jude stuff and everything, there's stuff that's like we're like the world next door is how the man in black references it in like the second or first or second chapter. Um, but it's just, it's interesting to see that just kind of filter in, um, throughout the book. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also plays into the, the obvious concepts of good versus evil. You know, that's obviously one of the themes of this whole story. And I, I don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind the, the biblical, the biblical stuff you know i i don't think it's i don't think it's blatant like i don't think it's um king trying to make the argument that uh roland is a heroic savior or right um, he's not he's not divine in any way nor is the crimson king the devil or mm-hmm. anything like that i think he's just applying familiar concepts to 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 drive home a point and, yeah. and I appreciate that. I mean, that's what he's good at, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I especially love the, um, you know, I, I, this is my, um, token, token mention of, uh, George Guidal's, uh, oh, yeah. performance. I, I love his, his, his delivery of the, uh, when Roland asks what his name is, his delivery of Legion. Yeah. It's, it's really subtle but it has a tone to it that feels um, it's, it's kind of zealotous. I don't even know if that's a word, a mm. word but it's like um, uh, oddly, oddly devotional and like uh, the, a bit of intensity in the devotion and the way he delivers that line, the way that the man in black says Legion, like it just has a, has a tone to it that I appreciated and was a bit eerie mm. and uh never obviously i never read it that way and so it i just appreciated that i think i think that might be the only i i did i did kind of appreciate the way he he read he recited dialogue from the man in black as well it was a bit um um 
the way he was a little condescending towards him at the beginning where he's like gather wood for a fire and he's yeah. just very I, I i'm butchering it compared to what he to what he did but it, i just like the way he was it had this tone of condescension to it um because it's like he the man in black knows that that roland has fallen into his crap and yeah. has he has him right where he wants him mm. um and and I love how that's kind of turned on its ear as well when Roland is asking him all these questions and he's asking him like, like who's, who's in charge or who's this or who's that or what's this and what's that. And then he realizes that like the man in black doesn't have a clue. And he's like, Oh, you don't know like great sorcerer, like Martin Broadcloak or whatever. Like you don't yeah. even know like what, like what it's kind of like, it's not presented that way. He's not as like, he's not as like condescending or, or rude um, as that, but <laughs> it's like, it's a little tiny sliver of like what Roland, uh, like Roland's version of humor. Um, <laughs> since he's <laughs> such a dry character, like that's like, that's like, that's, I don't know. It's just like this humor steeped in contempt. It's just, it's really, I love that. And George Goodell's delivery of that is fantastic as well. Yeah. It's kind of like schadenfreude. He's, yeah. He's relishing in his squeamishness about it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I totally. Yeah. And again, it's very subtle. It's not, oh, yeah. um, it's not uh, over the top at all. It's I, perfect. Great delivery. Absolutely. And the other religious thing that I wanted to bring up was as, uh, as well when, um, the man in black, and this is so interesting to me. So the man in black, when he is showing Roland the universe, like he says, like, let there be light. And then King infuses that with like Roland, like Roland had the thought it was good. Um, so it's like, yeah. like the Lord said, let there be light. And it was good. Um, and that yeah. happens again, uh, later, and I find it so interesting because King is someone, and I'm sure that we talked about this in part two or three, um, but or maybe part one actually, uh, with Sylvia Pittston. But the King, obviously, like I said, he writes religion into a lot of his stories. Some of his best storylines are focused on religion and dark religion and the corruptibility of religion. Like, off, like I mean, The Stand, that is a massive tome. And I think that that's also why The Dark Tower stands stands um, separate from, from being a just strict good versus evil, because I feel like King poured so much of that good versus evil, religion versus zealotry, and, and faith versus free will, kind of all those themes in, packed into The Stand. But like, he has the stand, the mist, uh, revival. Like so many stories revolve around religious, um, religious kind of. Um, uh, I want to say indoctrination to an extent, but <laughs> uh, like religious fervor and everything. And when, like, I, I just love that the the gunslinger and by extension the dark tower it just lightly touches on that. And here. What I find so interesting about the use of religion as we perceive it and like our version of religion in the real world, like in term, like in specifically like Christianity, is that the use of religion in The Gunslinger, both in, uh, in Toll by Sylvia Pittston and uh, by the man in black at this at this late stage of the of the book is like they're both just despicable characters who twist it around and use it 
to control and to use like use others and i find that to be so that's so vintage king like the way that he works through religion and what i perceive to be his feelings about like organized religion and um and and kind of the corruptibility of it i just find it to be just so interesting how he has that like soft touch here in the gunslinger did you pick up on that or anything um a little bit um yeah i i don't know the the religion stuff didn't jump out to me as much i I mean it's Mm -hmm. obviously it's there and like i you know it's not that i didn't pick up on it but um it's definitely not yeah. the focal point of the book at all. Like it's just, it's it's set dressing for it. Yeah, and that's why it's effective. Because again, I keep coming back to the the, the term "subtle," but I think that's mm-hmm. an, an appropriate word. But yeah, it's 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 woven in in an appropriate way uh, to where you're not, it's not you're not being beat over the head with it. It's just yeah. uh, it's it's effective. Yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this chapter ends with um, what it, it's written as a time jump, but like we don't like it's not necessary. Like it's uh, Roland ages ten years, and just like the jarring aspect of that is very satisfying in terms of it being you know time has passed significantly. He's there with the bones of the man in black, who he believes is the man in black. Um, and I really like the added touch of him taking the jawbone, um, kind of replacing the jawbone from before. I think it says it in the, in the book that he replaces it. Um, and then he heads on to his next adventure and everything. Um, I just find it to be so interesting that the, the kind of, uh, acceleration of time in that, like, it's just like, that's the ultimate way to show that whether, whether the time jump is due to him like due to something that that the man in black did or if it's just the world moving on it's just it's really interesting to see that be like a kind of just a an uh an addendum to the story or what have you yeah for sure um it's i i'm not entirely sure what the purpose of that is like i I don't know how it's improves or advances the story i guess i think it's almost just like hey this is kind of cool like it's it demonstrates the magic of the man in black i guess i I, i'm not sure i don't know i'm not sure what purpose it serves i guess uh from a storytelling standpoint it's not that i dislike it it's obviously cool but um yeah i'm not sure what i guess i've never been sure what to take from that um yeah yeah i i don't i'm not really sure what to do with that i guess um yeah that's fair it is it is something that doesn't really have at least not that i remember i have any real bearing on the story itself i think it's just a cool like thing to put at the end like oh hey yeah but when he woke up he aged 10 years i think that there's probably like is a like a rumpelstiltskin kind of thing in there or something um that yeah i don't know i do kind of like the um the passage of time to me, the aspect of the story that's more, a little more effective is the fact that when they begin their palaver, the sun is setting and it essentially never rises until he wakes up 10 years later. So it's all oh yeah, taking place in the dark. And, and at one point, you know, he kind of looks off to the east 
um, or wherever the sun would rise in Midworld. Um, mm-hmm. And um, the man in black notices and he he makes a comment and I, I don't remember it verbatim, but you know, he says something along the lines of you keep looking for the sun to rise and the light to come. And he's like, you don't, we're not there yet. And he's just kind of, it's, it's, it's like it was a tactic by the man in black to unsettle him or something mm-hmm. like that. And for whatever reason he wants, I, I'm sure there's some uh, imagery there that we could read into, you know, about, okay, once the sun comes up, we're going to move on to the next thing and I'm going to yeah. get to do whatever. I know. I think, I think he's sort of thinking, Oh, I can't wait to kill this guy. Yeah. Um, you know, and he thinks that that's going to bring forth that moment or bring forth the next step of this process. And, right. um, it's funny, uh, you know, situationally funny because clearly, the man in black has total control over this whole situation. Mm. Like I, Roland is along for the ride. Yeah. And I, 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 part of me wonders if he was aware of that going into it, or if that was sort of a surprise to him. I'm not sure if that's ever made clear. Um, I, I don't think it's ever hinted at that he feels powerless in this moment or, yeah. It's it's kind of it's kind of interesting reading through it because it's like he he was building towards this moment, right? Mm-hmm. I mean the 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 epic most epic line of this whole series is the man in black fled across the desert and the the gunslinger followed, and here is the culmination of that line. He's mm-hmm. he's caught him there together, um, and he's kind of powerless. Like he's yeah. he he doesn't really have the ability to control the situation at all, and I I don't. Part of me wonders: Did he know that the whole time? Did he know that this guy is such a powerful, powerful sorcerer that he's not going to be able to really kill him or get revenge on him? Like mm-hmm. it's he, he, the, the, he is fighting a losing war, and he's not winning the battles either. Like he's just, he's just along for the ride, and he's so out of control of the situation, and that's so obvious. But I feel like he doesn't. I think he understands that, but I don't know that he really reacts to that at all. He's never just like, damn it. I want to like, there's one time where he kind of has an outburst and he like tries to reach across the fire and strangle him. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he says something along the lines of what my guns won't do. Maybe my hands will yeah. something along those lines. And that's when Walter essentially just puts him to sleep and sends mm-hmm. him, you know, sends him on his, his mind on the journey of what the universe is. And yeah. Um, and, and, you know, even in that moment, like he just, he can't even have an outburst, you know, mm-hmm. he can't even have a proper outburst. It's ripped away from him. So, um, he, he doesn't seem to really demonstrate frustration about that or, um, uh, you know, even react to it really. It's, right. it's almost like he, he knew this was going to happen almost. And I, it's just kind of surprising. Cause if that were me, I would just be festering like, God damn it. I want to kill this guy or <laughs> right. I want to, I want to do whatever I need. I need answers and I want to kill the son of a mm. bitch. And you're just, he's just a an ant under his boot. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a fascinating read. It is. And just their dynamic itself is just so, so fascinating to read as well. Like the whole, like the idea that he's been hunting him and that he has been chasing after him with the thought that the, this man is the person who has all the answers. And even with the man in black, having him under his heel and having this control over him and all of the 
to use the term from the 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 flawless movie, uh, all of his magics um, oh, have just him just completely there. He's he's in control. Um, but even then, like he still has all of this power over Roland, even when Roland sees through this facade of power that he has in terms of like not knowing all the inner workings, having not even really like communicated with his master because he says like, well, I hear him in my head. Uh, and he's like, wait, you don't actually know anything. Like, what are you doing? Um, but it's just, it's really interesting to see, uh, how that dynamic plays out because even with Roland chipping away at what, what we and, and Roland would perceive as the power dynamic that, that, that the man in black has over him, he still is exerting a certain type of power and magic over Roland in that. So the way that this whole palaver plays out is this such is such an, an entrancing power struggle between these two men that is just it is it is a wonderful culmination to the book. I just I love it. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um yeah, I I really appreciated this read through of it. Yeah, same here. And uh is there anything else or should we start winding down? Um, cause I'm, I know that we're I'm ready to wind down, late. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Um, I don't have anything else, but, uh, just, I, I loved this, this read of it. And it's just, it's such a blast that we finally got a chance to start this project, uh, six years into this whole project. really. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So next time, we're gonna like we're gonna keep going with the like we're not gonna take too long of a hiatus between this and the next one but what i want to do is in the um in the collection uh everything's eventual there is a novella tiny that have you read it it's the little sister uh, little sisters of Aluria. i never have Okay, so before we go to the drawing of the three, I think we should do an episode about the novella The Little Sisters of Valeria, uh, as it is a Roland Deschain story. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So let's do it. Let's like I think that'll be the next episode or the next installment of this series. Um, that's your homework, Tiny. Um, we'll figure out the whens and hows and all that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, Sounds good. Yeah, I've always meant yeah. to read it. So yeah, nice. now no time like the present. Yeah, awesome. So that'll come down the pike um, sometime soon. Um, and then after that, maybe we'll do a Holly episode um, if you get around to to listening to Holly. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but yep. we've 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 got a lot a lot of ground to cover with both the Dark Tower series and uh, Stephen King as a whole. So yeah, sweet. Um, oh, I completely forgot to bring up. In Stephen King news, the big news that <laughs> uh, the, that I teased out at it being as it being um, stuff that I talked about last time with Kim C. But uh, King announced uh, lightly announced his next like three books. Basically, um, did you hear about that? Like we we chatted about it in Messenger, um, but basically, uh, I, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say basically he has 
You Like It Darker, which is a short fiction collection. He said it's going to be about 600 pages. It's going to be a big one. I assume that both Red Screen and Finn, those are two short stories that came out uh, over the last couple of years in in a couple different uh, formats. I believe those are going to be, or I assume those will be collected in that collection. Um, But that is one that's, uh, one that's, there were no like, dates or anything named or whatever but i'm i'm gonna assume that that's our 2024 book from king um and then he also said that he is working on a new uh another holly gibney story called um i can't remember what it was called um uh, i can't i can't remember either yeah but then he also said that he is toying with the idea of doing the talisman number three which i have not read uh, the talisman or black house. Uh, we will eventually do that for this podcast, obviously, but they do tie into the dark tower series. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, I don't remember what the name of that was, but anyway, um, yeah. Uh, Oh, we think not is the name of the Holly story, uh, that he's working on now. So, okay. Um, that should do it for this episode then, Tiny. I think we're, we're, we're good. You have anything else to add or anything? No, I'm glad to be, uh, on the journey. We've, we've reached the beginning's end. We have indeed, um, to, to quote Smashing Pumpkins, the end is the beginning is the beginning of the end. No, wait, I can't remember the name of the song. Damn it. Anyway. I I can never keep it straight either. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's funny, the complete tangent, but I always, because I'm weird, um, that song, it was obviously used in the trailer for Watchmen, but I will only ever um, associate that song with Lost, weirdly enough. Did not appear in Lost at all, but yeah. I was very, very much like, oh, this is, this feels like Lost. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, um, all right. So <clears throat> not sure what we're going to do next immediately. Probably the Little Sisters of Illuria. So look for that in, uh, in your podcast feeds eventually. But in the meantime, uh, consider joining Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, tons and tons of audio content. Uh, different tier levels. They just included or just added a new collections feature. So basically, if you sign up, you can go to uh, the posts and I have them separated by collection. So if you just want the Stephen King stuff, click the Stephen King stuff. I also have a separate collection just for Stephen King book reactions. So if you want like all that two days worth of stuff, sign up on Patreon, go to that collection take a look at it. I did read along reviews for fairy tale for Billy Summers for skeleton crew night shift, uh, um, uh, different seasons and a bunch of other books and everything. So like I said, it's like 50 some odd episodes and two days worth of content. Um, so a lot of, a lot of stuff there for $4 a month. If you sign up on the Stephen King tier. So anyway, I'm going to start playing us out. Um, Yeah. Uh, Also check out the other shows, Obsessive Viewer and Anthology. Tiny, it has been a pleasure going through the Gunslinger with you. Looking forward to continuing on our journey. Um, Yeah, always is. Yeah, absolutely. And once again, final, final plug for Patreon, patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer. Thank you guys so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. 
And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. But no, it was, um, it was like they, like, to their credit, whoever, like the school or whatever, they packed so much into the itinerary, itinerary. like word, it was incredible. And having said that, I like so much of it is a blur to me is like, especially this far removed from it. Like I remember, I remember certain highlights. I remember Ford's theater. I remember being at Mount Vernon, um, uh, um, uh, uh, Arlington cemetery. And I feel like, Oh, the like world's longest escalator or something. Um, Mm -hmm. and I remember, I remember being at the Capitol and I remember like flying a Confederate flag and like having a bunch of like face paint on and screaming about Trump. It was, it was all a blur. Um, (laughs) that was a really good tour. Um, Jesus Christ. <laughs> nice. Um, but no, I do remember I do remember certain things. I do not remember apotheosis from that trip, and that's uh that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Okay. Would, yeah. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.